synaptic fiber. Not leave much for the imagination once they got wet. Yeah, there's no. a lot of see-through on that, and I'm like, I'm not sure that was a good choice, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I realize you're trying to be historically accurate and all, but my goodness. And then Freud comes up. <laughs> corn dog. Yeah, that yeah. there was some subliminals to just that corn dog the entire conversation he's got it sitting there holding it erect and then as soon as they're making fun of him it just slowly drop Good day and welcome to Synaptic Misfire. My name is JP and I'll be your host. The first excellent dude joining me whoa, today. Whoa, 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 hold on there, dude. We can totally introduce ourselves. Oh, God. Eric, take it away, dude. Hey, dudes. I'm Eric S. Preston, Esquire. And I am Derek Theodore Logan. And we are the, the Wild, Wild Co hosts. Why me? Each episode, we will take another look at a relic from our pop culture past. This week, we will be looking at Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Just in case you haven't heard of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, we figure what better way to bring you up to speed than reading the back of the box. And yes, I mean VHS. Bill Preston, played by Alex Winter, and Ted Logan, played by Keanu Reeves, are two totally excellent dudes facing one most heinous history exam in the whacked-out, time-warped comedy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. With the help of Rufus, played by George Carlin, an ultra-cool messenger in a time-traveling phone booth, the triumphant twosome bag a bevy of historical heavyweights like the bodacious philosopher Socrates, one very excellent barbarian Genghis Khan, the short dead dude Napoleon, and Noah's wife, Joan of Arc, to stage the most hysterical high school project ever. History is about to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell in the hilarious hit, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. All right, so sit back and relax, dudes, as we talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Eric, I think they want us to say something. What should I say? Make something up. All right, uh, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Oh, good one, dude. Oh, for crying out loud. Bill. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. So before we get started, we wanted to share with you what it was about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure that left the biggest impressions on us. For me, I don't remember this movie as much. I just know it came out at, at a really fun time for movies where there was a lot of these these teens where they were kind of like this the super idiots there was bill and ted and there was like encino man and all that kind of stuff and and it was a lot of fun it, i just remember this being a real good fun ride yeah i remember watching it at a buddy's birthday party when it first came out on vhs and it was just one of those stupid comedies like all the kids are my age at the time wanted to see it was just freaking hilarious and there was a lot of there's only a few things I can really remember about watching it back then was the bit outside the Circle K, of course, the mall sequence at the end and and the adult joke that no kid in my class at the time got 69 dudes. So you got like this 
seven-year-old Eric running around the playground with his friends going, 69, dude, and not getting the slightest hint of what we were really talking about. Yeah, I I remember this from school too, but it was a bit of a different experience for me. Uh, there was one particular really cool weekend, and it was it was during uh, school, and our teacher had arranged for us to have kind of a, a sleepover. Uh, one of the teachers didn't live far from the elementary school that we were at, and so we went out, and she had this acreage and and this nice huge backyard, and we went and you know uh, played around there and stuff, and then we walked back to the school. And we stayed the night in the school for, for Saturday night. And we got to do all sorts of stuff. We got to go into the gym and play basketball. And we got to have like a beanbag war where we threw beanbags at each other and were diving off the top of this this thing onto crash mats to throw the beanbags at each other. And then we had movies. And there were four movies, all 80s classics. And one of them happened to be Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. A couple of the other kids in the, in the class had watched it. And they were like, oh, this is really funny. And I'd never even heard of it. But I could not remember laughing as hard at any of the movies that we watched because most of them were kind of comedy something. And uh, that one just was so hilarious and it was so cool and interesting. So I think it really appealed to younger fans more than probably, you know, people looking for a good movie. It definitely just played off of a lot of hijinks and, and fun and it was a spectacular ride. Well, it wasn't even supposed to be anything really intellectual or or deep. It started off as um, an improv skit between the two people who wrote and directed it. And when they decided to actually write a script for this, they had a hard time finding someone to actually play the two roles that until then only they had played. I think they interviewed something like 200 different people. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I I knew of a few of the bigger names that they they kind of had attached to it, but I didn't realize they went through such a process. Oh yeah, they went through a lot. Like they were having troubles finding, and they would get them to each play off of one another. It's like, okay, you play as Bill, you play as Ted. Okay, no, now you play as Ted and you play as Bill, and they'll swap things up and and try to find that chemistry. They what they were looking for was this really easygoing chemistry and. The, the puppy factor, where they were adorably stupid. They weren't just idiots. They were adorable idiots. Yeah, and they definitely nailed that with these two guys for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I could think of a better combination of two people, uh, especially two people that seem to just have a good chemistry aside from that. Like It seems like Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves really bonded in, in certain ways uh, around this film. They sure did. Um, even between the scenes and between takes and recordings they were hanging out a lot and they had a lot in common back then so just being able to play off each other so well just came naturally and that's 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 a really rare thing to have two strangers that just kind of mesh well and it, it helped probably that they were both roughly around the same age because one of them was 20 and the other was 21 at the time mm. so they were both young up-and-coming actors in the industry and and I mean, they're coming in at the same time around the same era doing similar stuff. So I, I think they just kind of meshed in that regard. And then, of course, they had their own inside jokes like uh, they didn't like filming scenes in, in the telephone booth. They called it the death box, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny because they're going to go back to the death box a third time. So they must they must like it more than they admit to. I don't know. They took a pretty big break between this one and the last one. So uh, you'd stretch out the suffering as much as you can. <laughs> hey, somebody had to move on to Point Break, okay? 
Well, yeah, Keanu Reeves was worried he was going to get completely typecast in this movie. Um, that was Point Break, you were saying, is is one of the first series or roles that he used to try and break away from that surfer dude. I love the surfer speak that they used, man. It was amazing. <laughs> Oh, like even their general expressions, their movements, like they got a lot of character to them, but you can obviously tell they don't have a lot going on upstairs. It's a lot of airhead shit, right? It just makes you wonder what the the common viewpoint of the United States was around California at the time, because that wasn't the first movie where they where they had surfer speak in it. No. Well, you can understand why Keanu Reeves would be worried about getting typecast, right? You're sitting there at this... this uh, airhead nimrod oh dude like you get put in that uh pocket that's gonna be a hard image to break <laughs> yeah well and point break didn't even really break that away from him uh it, it still kind of led into a surfer-esque it's just now he was a surfer that was an undercover cop so it was kind of like they're trying to mature him but they were trying to mature him slowly but <laughs> but even so like you know between the the two initial movies that came out very early um you know, by by the end of the second one, I'm sure he was thinking like, you know, are we doing a third? Is is this going to continuously be a thing? Is this the only thing I'm going to be known for? And and that's a tough thing when you're you're a young actor. Being typecast is kind of where you don't want to go. Um, and and I don't think he was because even watching him playing as Ted, it's interesting because you know we watch him now in movies and he's a completely different type of actor than when he was back then. So when when I went to watch this again uh, with you guys. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him. I'm like, he's a far better actor than people give him credit for because he really plays into this role very well. But, you know, you ever hear an interview with him and stuff, he's a totally different person. And seeing them like talking about playing the characters well, they, the way you see Keanu Reeves' face when he's told something and then he's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Then it's like, yeah, oh, well, so what? Let's just keep going. <laughs> Well, yeah, you can see like he just sort of sits there and he's he can see the the hamster running on the on the wheel for a little bit. And then the light sort of pops on and then his eyes bulge up and his, his facial expression changes. Right. So he he did a really good job at playing that part where he, it's he's processing it through his head and then he reacts to it. it it's very rare where he, something is said to him or something happens where right away he just sort of reacts to it. He's always got that little bit of lag time to him. <laughs> um, a great uh, example of it is that first little bit where they're like, well, dude, we need to get uh, Van Halen on our on our thing. Well, we can't get Van Halen until we do write a bodacious song. Well, we can't write a bodacious song until we have inspiration. Well, we can't have inspiration until we have Van Halen. Oh, yeah. it's a uh, it's, uh, Van Halen in the music video. Music video, I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah it was just, it's just <laughs> two parts that goes back and forth, but they never came to a, a, a like a head to that conversation. They never came to agreement. They just we need these things. No, we need this. We need this. We need this. And then they just like yeah, it came full circle, and they were like okay. And it shouldn't be understated. Like we're we're talking a lot about Keanu here, but it shouldn't be understated what Alex Winter also brought to his very. Uh, in-depth portrayal i think of of bill because uh one thing that keanu was doing he was kind of going for the blank stare so he's kind of just off and you know he always has his mouth kind of semi-open and he's kind of like just staring blankly at anything or everything that they do yeah meanwhile you had uh alex winter and he brought because out of the two of them he's kind of the brains which is (laughs) 
you know, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of a tough sell to begin with. But but he also was a master at giving the proper timing to a facial expression. And yes, probably the one that you, you we laughed at the most rewatching this was the moment that his dad was going to like do Mitzi <laughs> in his room and he goes yeah. to close the door and he's kind of got that look on his face and the expression that he's got on his face. I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, that was so well done. So well timed. So perfect. This the shock and the rage of his dad closing the door to bang his stepmom in his room, right? Like, like that's the tip. Like, how else would you respond? And then, of course, you're going to leave because oh, it's time to go. Uh, you know, it, it sucks because outside of the Lost Boys, I don't really have anything else to compare Alex Winter's acting to. And I know he's done a bunch of stuff over Broadway, I believe, and a few other things, but I, I've got very limited exposure to him as an actor. Yeah, he didn't really go much further after this, though, um, which is unfortunate. Keanu really did take off. Well, I, 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 Alex just had kind of a different thing that he was kind of doing, right? Like he wanted, he, he ended up a bit more behind the scenes and then, like you said, more theater and and you know it's kind of the personal choice of an actor what they feel more comfortable with really i mean we we've got a lot of understated actors in hollywood that uh that are okay on screen but they some you know they do better on on broadway well w- with um alex winters even his posture as bill was very distinct like he would have the one shoulder kind of droop down and he wore those like crop top t-shirts that were cut off back in the day and he he had a whole demeanor to them it wasn't just like the blank stare like you were saying i like that i really really appreciate the depth they put into the character and that's interesting to say considering the characters in and of themselves aren't very deep no no (laughs) no but as deep as a puddle yeah but uh, I mean, what do you expect off of a, a stand-up skit? Essentially, like the the guys who wrote the screenplay basically wrote it on on pages of loose leaf paper over four days. <laughs> and so I'm like, this isn't like the most well thought out thing. It was just the concept was fun. Having these two guys see if they succeed again. It's kind of an underdog story, right? Um, and it's two guys that obviously are challenged and every department probably by choice because they're so wrapped up in the idea of becoming these rock stars that they never grew up or grew out of that that phase and then they got to <laughs> save themselves from from bad situations essentially especially ted he had to i don't want to go to military school we got to do this well that's the thing once you got your mind set on something right nothing else really matters like everything's sort of in the way until you could go back to trying to achieve what you're working towards and their parents were both kind of uh, interesting characters, right? Because the dad for Te- uh, Ted, yeah, he was very, very strict and so disappointed and kept hammering on him and just not even giving him a chance to express himself or, or say anything. And then you have uh, Bill's dad, <laughs> who's married this like, freshman kid yeah, like, well she's 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 an adult at this point but like just out of high school right like they're they're in their senior year and uh <laughs> and she was in their in their senior year when they were freshmen so she's like maybe 21 at this point and really that's that's the most characterization you really get out of bill's dad and and he's a horn dog he's such a lech <laughs> oh my god but he doesn't care. And I can't say as I would either if I was in his situation. Wow. Just wow. What? Yeah. What? Don't, don't, don't you fucking lie to me. Same boat. It's that whole scene where she's 
bringing him the uh, sandwiches when they're in their bedroom there right near the beginning and those sandwiches are burnt to a crisp and they look cold like the one side is burnt as fuck yeah. and the other side's fine and they all just sort of inspect it <laughs> and they don't i don't think any of them took a bite out of it nope. <laughs> and the dad didn't even give a shit like he just sort of handled it but he's like making eye contact with her well in a way he was kind of nice he handed money to them so they could leave and go do something else <laughs> and probably get a real meal and then as they're leaving Bill's bedroom, there's the dad sort of giving this creepy little, oh, this awful look as he slowly closes the bedroom door. And poor Bill. His expression was was the best. And then the very fact that, that Ted just kept uh, needling after them after that. <laughs> In your room, man. Shut up, Ted. Now your dad's going for it. In your own room. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. Your stepmom is cute, though. Shut up, Ted. Remember when I asked her to the prom? Shut up, Ted! Yeah, he just he just gets <laughs> mad about it, and it's like, well, yeah, you think he would be kind of mad. He's going to come back and have to deal with it. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah, Ted just doesn't let it go, eh? No. Like, like, he, he knows he's up, getting Ted. under Yeah, he knows he's getting under his skin. One thing they did good with the, the time travel aspects of this is when they first meet Rufus, um, they have their bit of a discussion and then all of a sudden, boom, they pop in and then they get out and, and you see their future selves now talking to their old selves. And here's something that was interesting that was we all kind of picked up on, but Derek, especially, I, uh, <laughs> I can't irritate him. I can't, I can't, I can't explain it. I tried. <laughs> I've looked everywhere. I don't know what it is. But if anybody's watching this movie, Bill is always on one side and Ted is always on the other, pretty much almost the entire movie. And if they're not, it's to set up the next shot from a reverse angle. But basically, if they were standing side by side, Bill is on the right, Ted is on the left. All So they're always, the they're always presented as Bill and Ted. Exactly. And it's just throughout the entire thing. And I don't understand. And here's the other thing that was funny. Uh, with the up, you know, with, with the the new one coming out, uh, even their promo shots in Entertainment Weekly, the same damn thing. <laughs> they kept it. what? I, I'm thinking we got to watch the second movie at some point, but I want to see if this carries through. But it, it just, I don't understand it. I don't know if it was a conscious choice. It seems too too much of a of a thing throughout the entire movie that it should be. It was a conscious choice made by somebody. Yeah. I just want to know who and why. Why? There's no way it's a coincidence. It's like no way in hell. It it's it, it couldn't have been. It's too much of a it would be too much of a fluke. It's exactly. very intentional, and you can tell because when they meet each other face to face, right? Usually when you have a person meeting each other, they're like literally mirror images, you know, like standing right in front of each other. So they do the whole like raising the hands shtick. They didn't do that with this. They actually had them like on opposite, like the proper sides if the camera was facing them. And that was yeah. why they had them on the proper sides is because the camera would face them. I love so it. So there's always Bill and Ted. Yeah, that was a neat little thing that they, they'd throw it in there. <laughs> it drives me insane. I will know the answer one day. I must. I must. I don't care if I have to track yeah, down. I thought you were going to snap during the viewing. <laughs> I'm going to go find Keanu Reeves or Alex Winter. I'm going to tackle them to the ground. And they're going to answer questions. Answer them. I'll probably go for Alex Winter because I know I know Keanu can probably fight me and kill me. <laughs> Ooh, after watching John Wick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the curious thing about the assignment that they're they're on is is they're they're bomb this course, right? How much 
of of their mark? Is this one assignment actually worth? Is this just the teacher, you know, giving these guys a shot to let them even, you know, make the attempt to grad or to to pass? Or is it really like their course is made up of eighty five percent of this one project? <laughs> well, it could okay. it could even just be fifty percent, right? Like it's enough for them to get a passing grade because all they need yeah, to do is hit a C, right? So. If if fifty percent of their grade is learning the the material throughout the year, and then their oral presentation at the end of the year is fifty percent of their grade, like a final exam, you know, I, I, I also, sounds like high school for me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I made it. I'm glad you did. I, I I also like how Rufus gave them the time machine, probably with the expectation they're going to go there and you know maybe talk or observe and and figure something out, write some stuff down. But what do they do instead? Let's just start kidnapping historical people, <laughs> and it starts with and an accidental kidnapping. That's what triggered the idea. Yeah, yeah. let's just go get the rest of them. <laughs> well, and and what's funny enough about uh, the person that they ended up kidnapping by accident? He's actually on the blackboard. Yeah, at the beginning of the movie when they're in the class and the history teacher is explaining to them, you know, you need to pass this course, guys. If you read the blackboard list of names in the background, all of those people's names, aside from Cleopatra and Julius Caesar, are the people they kidnap. Yeah, and they even, because uh, they even ask who's Joan of Arc. So I think most of those names were, it's like a little tease at the beginning, right? A little foreshadow. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. <laughs> kidnapping historical people what the hell yeah nothing <laughs> nothing changed and if time if because we've had this discussion about time travel uh with a previous podcast so if we time travel and we remove these people from history what did we just affect and the other interesting fact to note too is it seems like time is a constant moving thing because no matter how long they've been gone from San Dimas, their watch is ticking. Remember, wind your watch, dude. Yeah. yeah Which, that was a neat take on it because normally it's, you know, it doesn't matter how long you take or, or what you do or how long you're gone, you'll come back. Right, well, Back to the Future is an example, right? He comes back right after he leaves and Doc Brown comes back right after they leave or, or whatever the hell. But this is is there on that sliding time scale, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, Derek and I were mentioning that actually is is just so it's like all time is synced somehow, right? Where so you can time travel, but your timeline doesn't stop when you leave it. That's, that's that's I like that. That's a nice touch, absolutely. But I think that they also contradicted themselves because as yeah. much as as much as they talked about oh time is linear so if your guys are gone for this long a time and then you come back at this time you're still at this time because you've been gone that long right yeah and they broke that rule twice they broke it by meeting themselves and then they broke it by setting up all those things we got to remember to go back into the past and like set this thing up right so they went back came forward set things up ahead of time so they could go back again or, yeah. or not have to go back again. And like, like it, it's just weird. They, they, they kind of broke their own rule as soon as they talked about it. Oh. So I just, I've sat there and I'm like, I don't think that's a really good explanation. And then again, the question becomes, what did they affect in history? Because it wasn't like they were subtle about getting these people, right? <laughs> oh, God, no. no. They, they literally always kidnapped a person in front of other people. Like they, they went and they got Billy the Kid and like the whole entire town's there to kill them. And they see this phone booth disappear. 
you know, and then they, and then they go like the only person that I can actually honestly say that they didn't kidnap anybody in front of was Joan of Arc. Yeah. yeah they took her praying. She was by herself, oh. but everybody else had witnesses and sometimes lots of witnesses. Well, when they got Billy the kid, they dropped in uh, right beside the fucking shitters. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, we saw, we saw what happened with the phone booth when they left uh, the medieval time. Uh, it had some witnesses there, obviously, even when they dropped in, because, you know, the one guy was sitting there saying that they were, you know, they descended from the heavens and they came in with eyes of fire, flame, and they had horns or whatever. So obviously, you know, he's in massive shock. Well, they get, um, to, they get to see them disappear, too. Like the knight yes. gets to see him and a whole bunch of other soldiers. So so there's witnesses everywhere constantly, like even just bumping into them and going, oh, it's hello royal ugly dude right like obviously you stick out like a sore thumb you're not meant to be here no this is this is a bad time travel movie they have some neat things that they put in it like we were talking the 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 constant time that's neat they didn't like they didn't follow it but they also had the cool in-between world where usually time travel was like flash of light and now we're in the new place Whereas these yeah. guys had those tunnels and tubes and the as they're flying through the tubes and stuff. Yeah, that was that was a pretty neat effect, especially near the end when when uh, they were had the, the phone booth overloaded and everybody's kind of just sort of hanging out. <laughs> it's on its side and they're all in it like a boat. Yeah, I like that part. Yeah, although that landing had to have been rough. Um, yeah, there's no seatbelts in that thing. Oh, I don't think that's safety God. rated for some of the shit they did. Well, and, and you see how that thing uh, enters back into the time stream, right? It drops from the sky and hits the ground. So uh, I'm sure if you're in the thing, you're fine. But if you're all dangling out sideways, that's kind of stung. I think the writers also have a real love for water slides. Uh, <laughs> what was your first guess? I'm only going <laughs> to say this because the tubes are like water slides for time travel. And then they, and then they have, you know, uh, Ted bring up the water slide passes that he wants to give to the cowboys. And, yeah. and then they have Napoleon at the water slides. And then even in the presentation, Napoleon's talking about his water slide attack pattern. Yeah. Well, it's San Dimas. What else is there to do in San Dimas but the water slides? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, you can hang out with the Circle K. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they have the little billy doo when they do their, their air guitar. Excellent! <laughs> And it's not them making the Beely Doo noise. It's actually like an, an overdubbing of an actual electric guitar. Uh, nice touch. Yeah, we should really get our own kind of soundtrack to follow us around. That would help. That would help. <laughs> I'd, I'd feel much cooler when I do air guitar. And... Well, you just pull out your Spotify and you press play whenever certain moments uh, d- demand it, right? Did they have Spotify in 1988? I don't think so. Well, you were saying we, so I, I thought you meant us in general no but they did have wireless headphones oh did you see those wonderful things i had a set of those things man they were bulky hers were so pink so nifty <laughs> <laughs> they were they were fantastic it, it was great because this is actually uh as we were talking about earlier thematically uh this is where you can see the transition from the late 80s to the early 90s in terms of style and and uh technologies and things that we were seeing uh, so, you know, we kind of covered that in one of the podcasts about, you know, this was a very 80s film. This was a very starting to become 90s film. It was really a snapshot in time, wasn't it? Yeah, like uh, the the reason I, I love some of these films that are set in their own time period is the fact that, you know, when we go back and we look at it and we're like, 
we're, we're sitting there, we're going, Oh, it's so accurate to the time. And it's like, that's cause it was the time. Uh, yeah. but, it, <laughs> but it, but it, but it definitely gives that vibe of the new era of films that were coming because in the late eighties, it, it was, you know, a lot of movie studios were, were having problems and dying out because they were following eighties formula and the newer film studios that came in and stepped up were the ones that started presenting more nineties formula to a movie. And this movie bordered on that realistically because DeLaurenti's uh, productions actually went There's bankrupt. that name again. Yeah, Dino DeLaurenti's. That guy was everywhere in the 80s. But this was this was like literally probably one of his last films because uh, they went bankrupt and they went belly up. And this movie almost didn't make it out. It almost went straight to, uh, straight to TV uh, because they had no backing. And Nelson Entertainment eventually picked it up and and got it out there a year later um which is why there's actually dubs in the film when they whenever they say 1988 it's actually a dub over from line 1987 because it took so long to come out they had to make it for the year it was released right yeah and even some of the box arts so one of the box arts that came out when vhs came out some of them had the original promo shots but there was one where they did a promo shot of all the actors and inside the phone booth and there's two actors that are not actually present. And one of them happens to be uh, the one that played uh, Napoleon. And so if you look closely at, at him, it's not the same actor that played Napoleon. And then <laughs> the second is actually Bill. Alex Winter didn't come back for the shoot for the promo. And so it actually shows his body and it looks very much like his body. But if you pay careful attention, you can see where they cut, like they did a cutout of Alex Winter's face. <laughs> and pasted it over top of this other dude's face that was the stand-in. Old school Photoshop. Well, I was very terrible. If like you can see the outline perfectly because it's white, so you're just like yeah, it looks <laughs> like it looks like they literally just went and cut it out of like a picture book and then just stuck it, it off. Yeah, all the other actors came back for it, including Keanu, but uh, those two didn't. Uh, so you know, and and that was because the release was late, like much later than they anticipated. So they just yeah. They didn't include all the promo shots. And then another thing that kind of got cut and I've always wondered about is on the other box arts is there's pictures of Bill and Ted in tuxes. Oh. And it actually suggests that there was a scene that was filmed where they would take the princesses to their, their high school prom, but that hmm. never made it into the film. Yeah, it makes you wonder why they had those shots if they never used those costumes at all in the movie. Oh, no, I, I guess they had them right near the end. No, no, they didn't. It was just the girls. They never went into tuxes, though. It's but, just but, the girls, yeah. But there's three box boxes of uh, on for VHS and stuff that actually have that picture on the back, and yet that scene's never in the movie. Yeah, probably one of those things that they intended to throw in, and then after near the end or whatever, they're like, you know, it, it's not really in a needed scene right so just chop it off and what effect is it really gonna have on the story and pretty much none no I've, even on the cover art in the box it has bill on one side ted on the other for bill and ted's excellent adventure yeah there's a couple spots where it looks like they did it wrong but it's because they're setting it up for um a scene to come up or a, a shot that's coming up um a good example is when they walked into the bar they walked in and they're on the wrong sides. They get to the bar and they're facing the bartender. They're on the wrong sides. But that's because a few seconds later, they turn around and lean back on the back of the bar. So now they're back to being Bill and Ted because the camera's on the other side. Yeah, it seems to anytime where they are on opposite sides, it'll always end up with them 
being Bill and Ted, the way they're they're framed, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like they sacrifice the smaller scenes to pay the pay off the bit for the bigger scenes, right? That that's intentional. At this point, it has to be intentional that they did that. Oh, absolutely. And and I will find out its secret. I swear, one day I will know. I I have to, but I can't find it on the internet. And and anybody that can find it on the internet, kudos to you, because yeah, let us know. Tag I us. I haven't been able to. So. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, if you guys are listening to this, man, find us on social media at Synaptic Podcast on Twitter or look for The Green Brain on Facebook and, and tell us. Get in our comments. Slide into our DMs. I don't care. We need to freaking know, mostly to shut Derek up because this is going to drive me nuts. Tell us. I've got pictures all over my wall in my bedroom of this. Every picture, every promo shot, every <laughs> single one of them. Freaking strings leading to each other like the freaking uh you know conspiracy theory type shit you see in the movies <laughs> uh-huh well here here's where here's where he was standing on the left but right after this he turned on the right why why yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm about that close but not quite not yet then they get into a bar brawl right afterwards and i really liked how they sat there at the table and then all hell breaks loose and for the entire fight they're both just sitting there. well not the entire fight most of it they just sit there and they're watching everything happen around them they're like hey dudes this is a pretty cool movie well even well bill says like once they start getting confronted Bill's like, we're totally weak and we're not going to be able to fight you because you'll kick our asses to, to that extent, right? Yeah. And two seconds later, they kick their asses and they get their heads. And, and my favorite scene in the whole Wild West bit where they go through the freaking wall <laughs> and you see, all the, you see all the girls on the other side of the wall. Uh, Bill gets pulled out. Uh, Ted gets pulled out. But Ted instantly throws his head back in so he can get another <laughs> view of them. <laughs> yeah, he goes back for more. <laughs> It's like, no, come out here. I'm going to kick your ass. And that guy easily falls in love with girls because he, oh, he even spots the the princesses at a distance on the balcony. And then JP piped up and he's just like, how the hell would he know he'd even love with them? Like, you can barely see them. <laughs> like, get closer first, man. Well, even even that bit, like, you know, there's the, t- you know, the love at first sight cliche, but they had very little interaction. Especially if they end up together at the at the end, especially Bill and his his uh, I guess future girlfriend or wife or whatever happens with them, they didn't even talk. No, it, it was it was it was Ted talking to the girls, saying the lines and stuff like that, and sort of swooning them. And but but at the end, Rufus is like, uh, "Here's the here's the princesses for you." What? Why? Presents them like he's the giving them a trophy. Like why would even like why would they even be okay with well I mean sure get some out of date or marrying the royal ugly dudes but you just got yanked to uh, and I think everybody took the whole time travel experience really well like everybody adapted incredibly good oh yeah well they get kidnapped um, and they don't like being kidnapped and then in the next scene they're helping kidnap yeah. <laughs> like yeah. oh I've accepted my fate let's just do this. Billy the Kid was right in there. Uh, Genghis Khan was my favorite, though, because, you know, they kidnap him with a Twinkie. He's all like, <laughs> and then the next scene is is uh, Abe Lincoln, and he opens the door, and Genghis Khan's like, grabs him and yanks him in. Like, how did they convince Genghis Khan that this was the thing that they're doing? <laughs> well, he likes and to sack. Nobody can speak ancient Mongolian at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't understand. that. That's the other thing. Like, some of them, maybe you could get away with it. Like, Socrates just seemed very 
Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> I, I can't help it. But you watch the movie, and it's like Socrates. Socrates. Uh, he he seems interested just because he he's he's curious, right? Like he's a yeah. he's a thinker, so he wants to see where this goes. Um, so he's fine with kind of going along with them for that kind of stuff. And then you got uh, Billy the Kid. At least they can talk to him. But I can see where grabbing Freud would be good because he could both speak German and English, and mm-hmm. he could explain things to to Beethoven. Um, but then after that, like you know, Joan of Arc and and uh, Napoleon, as much as they're both French, neither of them spoke English. No, but I, I liked how Billy the Kid and Socrates became bestest of best friends. Like those two bonded like crazy. Uh, they really they, did. It was their Nerf football time. Come on, <laughs> Nerf brings people together. I really, I really like that. Uh, that's a couple of of directorial notes that I liked, where they spoke the language from whence they came. Like Socrates spoke ancient Greek, and and the Mongol spoke Mongolian, and it was they could have very easily just cheaped out, and everyone speaks English. I mean, they do oh, it yeah, in Star just... Trek all the time. Yeah. No. 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 Universal translator in the com badges. That's built Easy in. Now. So they're, oh. they're no, no, they're speaking other languages. It's just getting translated. So don't, don't, no, no. Uh, the the cool thing I like about this really um, is you got two real classic time travel movies from the eighties, Bill and Ted's, and Back to the Future, and they're so polar opposite. Uh, back to the future you got to be careful not to change the timeline you got to watch what you're doing that you see marty sneaking around so he doesn't you know bump into himself or, or you know fuck <laughs> his mom so he doesn't become his dad and that sort of shit right and then you mm-hmm. got bill and ted and they're just like whatever happens happens shit hits the wall or shit hits the fan uh yeah it's it's just it's the two different type of time travel movies you can have the serious one or the one that's just there for fun and obviously you can tell which one is which and you notice too that each period and place they land they take someone except for one they don't take anybody out of the medieval time i think they only went there for a couple of key jokes um when the knights are in like heavy metal dude what these are heavy yeah heavy metal <laughs> well their intention was to get somebody but they kind of had to get out of dodge real fast yeah they were gonna have their skulls caved in right so it was it was either they run and try to kidnap somebody as they're leaving or just get the fuck out of there because everything went south right so it i mean yeah they, they, they i don't think they just really had the the opportunity for it I like how he fell out of his armor. He, Ted falls down the stairs in the, the night suit after they start playing lightsabers. Which you totally would have done. I'd have done it. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Oh, you're wearing armor? Let's get, fucking get some use out of that shit. Yeah, look, someone left swords lying around in the middle of the hallway. I never understood that part. Oh, they're, just, <laughs> they're just lying here. Let's just pick these up and do whatever. <laughs> it's not like a gun. You don't have to load a sword, right? You can leave a sword laying around and it's still dangerous. Yep. And then when they get the the the, the grumpy old grumpy dude, what was it they call them? What the the ugly old ugly dude? Right. Yeah. yeah. How's ugly it going, dude. royal ugly dudes? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. 
but the, the funny thing is when when he says that and they're yapping and the look on their face is like the old dude's already done with their shit he just <laughs> sort of does that sigh kind of like you do in, during our intros actually come to think of it yeah i could relate ted was almost too early on his air guitar in there and i guess it's because they really got in the habit of doing the every time they had something to celebrate i'm sure they did it offset all the time like hey ted it's lunchtime it is bill yeah, they, pro- they they had a lot of promo shots that kind of ended up here and there, and none of none of these shots are in the movie whatsoever. But it shows them doing air guitar quite a bit. Uh, I have no doubt that they were just freaking having fun with it after a while, which is interesting. Like, I again going back to thinking about how how well they were paired together, and it's interesting because I always question what what the movie could have been, um, and for the casting it's incredible that they made it the way they were because they actually came in and and auditioned for the opposite role so keanu actually came in and auditioned for bill and alex winter came in and and auditioned for ted and as you said there was a long list of people and and some of the bigger names uh involved uh shore was actually one of the ones that was was looked at for bill and for ted there was river phoenix sean penn uh brendan fraser and then they were looking at different a lot of different people actually for for uh rufus they had ringo Starr, roger daltrey sean connery charlie sheen and then they realized they needed to kind of go with somebody a bit more comedic so they started looking at other people and eventually came up with george carlin um and george carlin's kind of a weird fit in too because originally the the skit that involved bill and ted was actually bill ted and bob and they eventually dropped Bob, but they still felt they needed someone third to play off of that could help kind of steer them. So they came up with Rufus. Nice. He came from the future. And the weird thing about George Carlin is I swear he was in that movie a lot more than he actually was. Like, I, I remember him being a bigger part, but he only was at like maybe five, seven minutes total film time. He really wasn't in very much at all. No. I think it was just that, you know, you remember Rufus because A, he was kind of cool and B, he was very poignant like he he got to the point of what he was trying to do for these guys and he fed them a lot of information right away and just kind of put it in there and george carlin had a good film presence which mm-hmm. was actually yes. very surprising for a guy who, who most of his career is stand-up he didn't really do a lot of film he, he may have well, just been very busy at the time in that era that's why he only came in and did a couple of bits because he wasn't even present when they accidentally go into the future Well, I think the main thing with Rufus is he was just there to facilitate the story, right? To sort of catch the viewer up and to open the door to Bill and Ted for for their adventure. He was the narrator, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's essentially it, right? It, It is kind of weird how different the movie could have been with some of those other choices. But the big one, I think, that would have supplanted Rufus from what he was would have been if they'd gone with their one of their choices that kind of toyed with, which was having Eddie Van Halen actually be Rufus. Um, oh. They, they thought it would be funny with all the references that they'd have in there and then have Eddie Van Halen be the guy that's guiding them around. Because they talked about how, oh, yeah, we need Van Halen. Yeah. That he comes in to be their hero. That that would have been too much. Yeah. That would have been too much. And that and that was the director's choice, but then they they uh, the budget was too low and i mean van halen was like a huge name it's a lot of money to try to pay out to a guy who isn't really an actor anyway and it's not really his 
like I don't think he would have fit the film. Speaking of excellent, I love that motto. Just be excellent to each other. How hard is that? The world needs more excellence. It, it it's kind of funny how it's just it's played for laughs to a point that when they say that kind of stuff and then you know George Carlin's talking at the end of the movie about how they influence the world and help under you know end poverty and and hunger and all that kind of stuff and war and party on dudes is kind of the the tagline like that makes it funny but be excellent to each other is kind of a weird one because it in a way of philosophy it's kind of what we should be trying to do they have a really good way of looking at philosophy and still being able to understand it. Like when they met Socrates, oh, he's under Socrates, dude. <laughs> they meet him and he's doing the whole, like our lives are like dust in the wind and he's speaking Greek. So you can't understand him, but Bill and Ted go up and they're like, Oh, so like, we're like dust in the wind, dude. And they pick it up and show him and socrates is just so blown away that he understood him it's like oh my god yes now we'll walk you away we'll take and kidnap you he's like oh you guys are wonderful where are we going and so are the days of our lives yeah. <laughs> and then they had to throw that reference in yeah but but it is interesting because you you got two guys and philosophy is on the basis of a viewpoint on life right it's it's somebody who takes something and contextualizes it into words so other people can understand it. And even though these guys seem as dumb as dirt, their philosophy on life is just they just want to, you know, have a good time and be nice to everybody. And at no point are they ever trying to really be mean to anybody. They want everybody to get along. And it kind of shows in the little things that they do. Like, for instance, when, uh, you know, they're stuck in 1 million BC San Dimas and Ted's <laughs> out there handing out chocolate puddings to people, right? So, you know, oh, you're, you're probably all hungry and we're going to be here for a while. So here, have some chocolate pudding, right? And they kind of do it again at the end when, you know, they're doing their presentation and everybody in the audience is eating chocolate pudding. You know, they're just trying to be two good guys and nice to everybody. And again, it just shows their mentality. Like they're very childlike in a sense that they're not really seeing, you know, the, the evils of anything, right? And they're just trying to be kind, you know, trying to be excellent to each other as well as other people. And, you know, just treating others as they i guess want to be treated right they just take a very laid back approach to life and that goes back to something the director kept trying to hammer home to them and would when they he, they wanted more out of them from a scene he would say okay no let's let's dial it back again let's do it from the top this time more puppy factor and that's just it, it's such a great way to describe their mentality they're like these excitable brainless loving idiots well, they, they almost exemplify that perfectly in the bar fight scene in the West. You know, yeah. when, when they, when you talked about, it, it's like, we're totally weak and we cannot take you. And then Ted's still nice enough that he wants to mitigate it with peace and offers passes to the water park. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is funny. Cause you know, the place doesn't even exist yet, but he's like, Hey, you want, uh, want some tickets to the water slides guys? Yeah. We'll be totally nice to you. Like, and that's all they're trying to do. They're just trying to be totally nice to each other. And everybody and if, else. And if I remember correctly, I don't think either one of them threw a single punch in that whole bar fight. Everyone else fought for them and would defend them kind of thing. Or they got taken out by other things. Yeah, the only time they got actually aggressive and that was to save each other was uh, in the castle. Mm. And that was because, you know, Bill lost his cool because he thought Ted was dead. 
and then Ted has to save Bill's life. But aside from that, that's about as violent as they got. Yeah. I still love how, how he just conveniently popped out of that armor somehow. Yeah. Like some way. Slide. Unseen. Nothing. Unseen. Yeah, nothing <laughs> happened. Every, it went past everybody. It's like, where did you go? Because you were at the bottom of the stairs. Like, where did you pop out of? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, we want this to happen, but we can't properly explain it. So. It just happened. Uh, it just happens. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there was a lot of that in that movie. How do we explain that? Oh, it's a shit ton. Yeah. Something that is a neat thread throughout this whole thing is they kidnap Napoleon first. But they leave him behind for all of the adventures. He kind of goes on his own adventure in San Dimas on his own. Um, he starts eating ice cream, la glace, because it was something that that he was very, uh, it was his favorite dessert. Um, and he just, they, they, they polished off the whole Ziggy Piggy thing. And the two guys that come back in and go, Ziggy Piggy, that's the writer and the director. Those are the oh, original. Man, those guys drove me nuts. Yeah. He ate the pig, thus proving that he's they Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. Oh man, I would have decked them both out, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy. As soon as you started poking my chest, I would be poking right back. I, I think that was a really great B plot. Was Napoleon's his own excellent adventure in San Dimas, right of nineteen eighty eight? Because he just well, he was bowling. He discovers the water slides, which is his new love in life. Oh, and at bowling, that's when the kids just totally ditch him. They're like, nope, we're out of here. I'm Screw sorry. him. I'm sorry. Can we talk about, let's go back to the water slides for a second. Can we talk about the shit fucking lifeguard that was on duty? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just shove some poor timid guy. Hey, this guy's obviously an issue with the water slides. Yeah. Hey, you're backing up the line. Shove. Yeah, he just pushes him down and head first too, which is the worst way to go, right? And he's just I'm just like, who's who's not gonna fire that guy? Seriously. Well, this is the eighties. Nobody cared back then. I guess. That that is probably true, actually. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, I was just blown away as soon as I saw that. I'm just like, wow, there thank you for safety, health and safety and workplace. Well, and thank you for modern day underwear that they had to put on Napoleon because the classic white old school underwear undergarments that he was wearing did not leave much for the imagination once they got wet. Yeah, there's no. a lot of see-through on that. And I'm like, I'm not sure that was a good choice, guys. <laughs> I realize you're trying to be historically accurate and all, but my goodness. But you slapped the speedo on him on his head, so... <sighs> Got to keep the hair dry. I'm pretty sure that was actually yeah, well, a, a wig, so they probably just wanted to not have that come off. You know, they, they shoved him down the slide, and I really like that that hole going down the slide because you can see that he's the one holding the camera out in front of him as, like, one arm goes up and flails, and it comes down, and then the other arm goes up and flails. Yeah, <laughs> this, this was GoPro before GoPro was a thing, guys. Like, this guy yeah. had some talent because he actually did really good at keeping the shot on himself. Yeah, he kept himself in frame yeah meanwhile he's flopping all over the place and then his his wrist is completely still and then he switches arms and makes it look like he's flopping all over the place again and i'm like <laughs> yeah the one hand comes down reaches in front then the other hand goes back yeah, it's like kudos to him as a cameraman you know not just an actor no kidding 
And even though he didn't want to go after that, he's sold. He's pushing people out of the way oh, to get he, to the top and yeah. shoving kids out of the way and diving down again. Yeah, grabs that one kid and pushes him aside. He's like, come on, get out of my way. <laughs> yeah, but that, was it that girl that's about to go down? He just reaches over, picks her up, puts her to the side, yeah. and just like sort of like explains or whatever yeah. that he's going to go first. <laughs> And just becomes obsessed. And then when Bill and Ted come to get him, it's like dragging my toddler out of the freaking toy section. Oh yeah, he's. Like, I don't want to go, but but I want to. I can do it again, one more time. His whole entire attitude. If you want to talk about childish behavior, his whole entire attitude during the, the movie was childish behavior. I mean, oh, the, whole, yeah. the, the first time he sees Bill and Ted. Blow them up. Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's all he says. Doesn't care. Doesn't. Well, matter. Then, no clue who. They and are. then the bowling just... alley when he throws the ball down the the alleyway, and then he's <laughs> then he misses completely. Gutter balls it, and he's swearing, mad, 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 mad. And then and then you know you go you go back to him you know getting kicked out, and then he goes to the water park and he acts like a child again. And then they go and get him, and and they're like taking him away, and he's like no no. And then they they introduce him kind of to to Missy. And he's just like fawning over her completely, like like a child would if he saw a beautiful girl. And then they get him into the into the uh, report, and he's up there telling his strategy. And as soon as Ted looks at him and goes, "I don't think that would work," and then he's like, "No," and he's like, "No," and then he hits the board and swipes off all the pieces, and he's like, "Napoleon triumphs." And it's just, man, yeah. you're like five years old, aren't you? <laughs> well, he's obviously one of those kind of risk players that just flip the board when when it doesn't work out Merde. oh going back to a thousand bc um one million or sorry one million bc right right um totally inaccurate but whatever they have pudding that's that, that's not like this whole movie in no. general oh no you're not totally watching inaccurate. this for its accuracy no <laughs> But anyway, they, they they find pudding out of nowhere. Then they have this really disgusting sequence because they figured out that the um, antenna is broken on it. So they got to fix the antenna. So everybody's chewing bubble gum, putting it in their hand, and then handing it off to the next person. Spits it out, puts it into the ball, adds it to it, gives it to the next person. I'm thinking, even before Corona, this is disgusting. Well, that was the mentality, like, I guess back in the eighties, right? We were, we, everybody would share drinks from everybody's cups. You know, you handle someone else's gum. We weren't as grossed out as easily back then as we are now. No, they even give you two straws for your milkshakes back then. Yeah, it was a different time. And then right at the very end, before they warped out, you see two Cro-Magnum men. One's kind of blonde. The other one has dark hair. I wonder if it was supposed to have been their ancestors. And I also wonder if those two guys weren't actually played by Bill and Ted. I think they would have. I? You know what? I never even noticed it that enough to get their hair color. But but that would have been freaking hilarious. I think it probably could have been for all intents and purposes. It, it's It's too weird to be in there not to have been, right? At least that's the way I see it. Then after that, they kind of come full circle. And this is where throughout their adventure, they land with a phone booth full of people and only the two of them get out. And you can see these people are crammed in there. They are not happy at all. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't like those scenes. And and well, that it's was... interesting how, how many of the actors are kind of pressed in there. And usually they have their back turned so you don't see their faces. So half the time I'm wondering if they're even just stand-ins. And the rest of the actors didn't come in until they actually could do what they're supposed to do. Is somebody smaller in there? Yeah. 
And this is the scene where they land on Missy's hose, right? While she's watering her garden. Yeah. Oh. I, I just love them to start coming out and, and they're making up names for them as, as they leave. Like this is, you know, Bill Freud or, or whatever. <laughs> and then at the very end, he's like, and Abraham Lincoln. Because at that point, he's like, there's no point. This is this is too fucking weird. I'm not even going to make the attempt to try anymore. Well, and even their interactions with with people when they get taken down to the police station, right? It's like, why do you keep insisting that you're you're Sigmund Freud? Why do you keep thinking that I am not? You know, like he's psychologically examining this guy as he's doing it. Tell me about your mother, and he just gets up and fucks off. He's just like, ah! and then you go to and then you go to Lincoln, and it's like, how do you spell your name? And it's like Abraham Lincoln, L I N C O L N, and he's like, I know how to spell Lincoln, and he's like, ah. You know, like all pleased that he knows how to spell it. <laughs> Just some of their interactions were were genius. Well, their their interactions in the mall was the best. Like oh. right before when everything really goes to shit. Yeah, that's how they got into the police station. Is they were having this whole episode down at the mall. They were kind of everywhere, weren't they? I think I think out of all the shit disturbers, like realistically, Genghis Khan and Billy the Kid were the two worst. It's because Billy opened fire in a crowded mall. <laughs> like, like, like he, nowadays, he'd have been dead. <laughs> yeah, that's after there's like a shit ton of security guards to go arrest Genghis for like beating the shit out of a fucking mannequin with a bat. <laughs> and then and then he's rolling all over the place. He's like put on new football armor and he's he's on a skateboard. Like that guy mastered sports pretty fucking quick. Oh, man, the skateboard alone. <laughs> and then he hits that trampoline. Yep. It's freaking impressive. Genghis was pretty funny for just being like a little guy that had not not a whole lot of lines or stage presence. Like he he chews on the bat. Uh, later on, when they're doing a chore montage, he's using he's drinking out of the toilet bowl first, and then the guy gives him a brush. So he starts brushing the toilet. Then he starts brushing his chest, and he starts brushing his hair with the toilet brush. It's like yeah. Well, Al Leong is is usually just a background guy. Period. Like he's never really been very prominent in a lot of movies he's a he's a stuntman and uh he's mostly tapped for his martial arts skills uh so this was kind of one of those few movies where you get to see him give some characterization to the the background character he's playing and i i'm so glad that he's actually very physical in the sense that he can give all that comedy without a line of dialogue yeah he, he really gets it across without having to say anything. Well, and the other person that doesn't really speak in the movie either is uh, Jane Wideland, and she's the one who played uh, Joan of Arc. And really, she only says her line at the beginning before they take her into the phone booth, and then she doesn't say anything for the rest of the film. Um, there's, there's the bit where she does the aerobics and puts everybody through their paces, <laughs> and then uh, the sword fight bit during their... Uh, their uh, uh, presentation at the end. But yeah, she doesn't really say or do much. Like she's a very quiet character. Even Beethoven, he doesn't say a whole lot. And I think he was my favorite uh, kidnap E because they snuck up on him and he didn't even hear it coming. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't. So that's kind of a dick move to kind of even bring that up. But, uh, but the guy who the guy who played Beethoven, his name is Clifford David, and he's actually an actor and a singer. Nice. So oh, really? Yeah, he's done a lot of Broadway musicals and stuff, so he understands music quite a bit. So uh, it's interesting that they chose him. And he he still to this day has that hairstyle, that poofy hair. 
Oh, seriously? Yeah. I figured that was just like a wig or something oh, they had for, no. for the movie. No, no, that wasn't a wig. That was his actual hair because even, even the current shots of him have him, and it's all white now, but it's all poofy like that. That's freaking nuts. Which is kind of funny, but but I, I like it because, you know, it really added to the character of Beethoven to begin with anyway. And it was just cool it, without lines. Like it's like it's like JP was saying, you know, he doesn't really have any lines. But, you know, the whole entire thing of when he's in the music store, and the guy goes, so uh, are you a musician? And he kind of gives him that cocked <laughs> eyebrow and he looks at him and, and without saying a word, he got so much comedy out of that because it's just like. It's it's the expression, right? Exactly. The expression just kills yeah. you. And then he's the guy that's actually the least likely to get arrested. He's the one I yeah, don't. That's freaking weird. Yeah, because he's all he's doing is he's playing music like a motherfucker, and he's got <laughs> like fifty people around him. We're all outside the store. Do you think the guy who owns the store would be happy? Because there's all these people outside of his store, and probably by the time this guy's done playing, they're gonna want to come in and check out some equipment. Well, yeah, it's that whole mentality, right? Like you see something cool that catches your eye and you're like, hey, I want to do that. That's human nature. That's that's freaking how, you know, people make sales, right? Like look at look at movies that come out. They'll have uh, The Wizard or something like that. They got some kid playing this video game. All of a sudden, the demand for that video game just goes through the fucking roof. You, you see somebody doing something that you think is interesting or neat. The demand's going to jump up. So yeah, he's attracting a crowd to that guy's store. Like you said, there's there's no way he should have been pissed off about this. Yeah, he gets arrested for what? For drawing in business? Like I, I never got that one. That was the one that was a complete mystery. I could totally see Joan of Arc because she literally pushes that lady off of the podium and she could have been seriously injured because it was kind of high up. The The other one I thought was weird that he got arrested too was uh, Socrates, Socrates. He, he didn't really do anything aside from hang out with Billy the Kid. I think it was guilt by association that got him because the two of them were standing at the, at a, at a counter getting food and they turn around <laughs> and they start hitting on these these girls that are kind of looking at them because they're dressed funny. They're not flirting. They're like, what the fuck is up with these people? Then they walk over and like, hey. And then Freud comes up. <laughs> corn dog. Yeah, that, there was some subliminal suggestions with that corn dog the entire conversation. As he talks, it slowly goes yeah. limper and down. Yeah, he's... He's got it sitting there holding it erect. And then as soon as they're making fun of him, it just slowly drops. Like you said. Yeah. Was, yeah. That obviously was an intentional bit too. Well, and, one of, and one of the few lines from Socrates after that, he looks at Freud and goes, geek. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that was, you know, the exposure to his new best friends, right? Like he's definitely the, that nerd that gets to hang out with the cool kid when he's hanging around with Billy. Because those two, like I said earlier, they're they're complete best friends in this whole freaking movie. It's hilarious. No other character bonded like those two characters. It's 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 hilarious. They really did uh, connect, didn't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I I hear um, when kidnap victims, you know, are around each other long enough, they become a, their own support group. I'm just saying that's <laughs> that's how I feel that this movie went. The other person that really shouldn't have been in shit either was uh, Abe Lincoln. Like you see when he bolts out of that uh, that photo store or whatever uh it wasn't a big store the guy should have seen him walk in dressed as abe lincoln but instantly buddy's like oh i want my stuff back he's like well, no that's my beard first off you should be able to tell that's his not a, a yeah yeah <laughs> like that that's that's a part of him that came with the package and he would have walked in with the hat like how yeah. observant are you you numbnut 
Yeah, not very. No. Not very. But it plays off well because you want everything to go to shit at this point. Well, it, it could have been looked at as theft. So, I mean, I can kind of see where that would happen. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Socrates, it's basically because he was guilt by association. It, it's really still, in my mind, Beethoven's the the less explained one. It's like, what did he do per se well he was part of the group and they needed to have him collected up as well to move the story forward oh, so totally, they just took totally. it. <laughs> now, now in terms yeah. of now in terms of being featured you know when when we get to see all their different kind of skills and stuff billy the kid gets a, a lot less anything even when they do the book report at the end he really only comes out introduces bill and ted after he shoots out a light yeah and, and then everybody else demonstrates their skills and or a particular thoughts or meanings and he well, that was his skill yeah he did he did the intro and then abe only did the the outro so it's kind of like the two people that could speak the most are the ones that get to do the least <laughs> well and, and going back to billy here he discharged a weapon in a crowded auditorium and everybody was fine with it and a school no less Oh, 80s. I mean, oh, they, such a similar time. They could have looked at it as a cap gun because this was before they started putting the orange barrel on the fronts of toy guns and stuff. Well, they were all gathered up so they could take them to the police station because now they have to have the scene where Bill and Ted are trying to get into where his dad works and rescue their history project. Yeah, and then this is where they really make use of their time machine. And it plays off of that whole... Ted can't Ted's dad can't find his keys through the whole movie and now you find out why yeah because he's yeah I just this whole thing just pissed me off I this is what I hate about fucking time travel god damn it you know like I said this is this is you know the exact opposite of the shit that you see in back to the future where everything is you know pieced together and tight and this is yeah and this is sort of like okay I gotta remember to do this garbage can falls on his head Oh, I got to remember to do this. Oh, there's the keys. And then they send themselves a fax. So so at so after after they get out of the jail is when they had to go back and set everything up because they got like the memory of a goldfish and you know they would not have been able to remember after their project was done to, to, to get all this shit set to get set up. Exactly. That's part of what pissed me off. Like these guys, they, they can't remember anything yet. They're going to remember that they're going to do this at this particular time. They didn't write a damn thing down. No, man. Good there, Lord. There was so many rules broken. And at the point we got to the trash, the trash can being dropped on his dad, we jumped the shark. Oh yeah, because they were they were also yeah. escaping out of a window that had bars on it, and then all of a sudden the bars are just gone. <laughs> well, there's there was nubs of the bars there, so somehow the bars got cut, but they never explained how or even gave it an excuse. This is one of those convenient uh, uh, escapes, right? <sighs> well, it was like him popping out of the armor, or yeah. Well, it, the thing it, is, it just the, there's a it's it's just there for the reason. The thing is that they would also be in a lot of trouble afterwards for all sorts of other reasons. Oh, oh yeah. And and the other one is actually letting real criminals go, right? Oh yeah, cuz it's not just them that get out. There's a bunch of prostitutes <laughs> to get released too and everyone just kind of fucking leaves. <laughs> yeah, everybody just fucked off. So yeah, they they emptied the cells completely. They they were in for some serious shit when they were going to get back. They must have been happy being in those bars rather than being in the phone booth though. Probably a whole lot more room because that phone booth is not bigger on the inside. No, no, definitely not. But they had to kidnap them to bring them to the school for their presentation, dude. The climax of the movie. 
Man, they got an A plus just for presentation of their presentation. No kidding. Oh, man. The other ones, the like, other ones we got to see were so boring and and so terrible. Like the first one was god awful when that that girl was talking about Marion Antoinette, and it's like if if she were here today, you know, she'd say you know give them McDonald's or some shit like that. And I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sakes! And and you completely missed the point of what Marion Antoinette was actually saying within what she said. And yeah. And then it and then it's terrible because you know you get to the jock and you know uh, San Dimas football rules and and uh, that, he gets applause. Well, that that was actually a line that wasn't yeah. meant to be in the the movie. It was something that the guy actually dropped and they kept in because it got kind of a reaction and they were just like, yeah, that's actually not bad. That's something the jock would do too. It's like, oh, I'm failing, I'm failing. What do I know? I know San Dimas rules, man. Everyone loves that. You go for that cheap. You go for that cheap pop, right? You're gonna. You're gonna pop the crowd. You you say something that everybody likes. You always cheer for X hockey team or something like that, just because you know it will get that reaction. And that's exactly what he did. Whether or not you know that did him any favors on his presentation with the teachers, that's a different story. I, I kind of like though that Bill and Ted set it up so it's like a a rock concert, and yeah. it actually shows yeah. that they're good at presentation. So you're imagining that their future shows probably are going to be amazing rock concerts if they ever learn how to play guitar. Because you notice when they come on stage, they're on the wrong sides. But then they high-five and fix it. And then there's the light show and the music that's going on. And they really emphasize like a, a very heavy rock vibe. So much so that that the girl who's playing Joan of Arc, she puts her hand up. Like they bring the lights on them and she puts her hand up in a fist in the air. Yeah. And I was, just, yeah. I was just like, yeah, she's the only one to actually react or do anything. But it was kind of funny and it was it was kind of cool. She struck a pose. She did what she was yeah, supposed between, to. Between that and, and the intro where you see the that uh, golden obelisk or whatever coming in through the opening, it had a very 80s, late 80s MTV vibe to it. Oh. And it, it, it really fit the, the, the movie, like to a T. Well, they're the only ones who actually opened the curtains for the stage and actually used the whole stage. That alone should have gotten them enough credit, man. Like... Being able to use all of the the stage to be able to do your performance, man, good lord! Well, and they got all these guys in their you know quote unquote authentic uh, uh, garbs, and and they're all talking you know their authentic languages. So so, however, these actors are that they hired are just fucking professional. Exactly. Oh, and then <laughs> Missy walks into the auditorium, right? <laughs> she goes up and starts snoozing with the teacher. Yeah, long time no see, and you see that same smile that Bill's dad had on his face earlier in the movie. And it makes you wonder if he was he was uh, her teacher at one point, and she got her yeah. her A somehow. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Oh, she got her A plus. Yeah, yeah. the oral presentation. <laughs> and here's another spot where they mispronounce the names, and I I really think it's adorable how they mispronounce it, like Socrates, Frood. Um, and then he says, yeah, I have an edible complex. Nah, just got a minor edible complex. It's like, yeah, dude, you've eaten way too many fucking edibles. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> well, he, when he says it too, and the look on Missy's face, she just looks at his teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she, she picked up on what he was throwing down. Yes, she was. Well, she should be. And then, and then she's just going to turn around and do it again later. But we'll we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it's it's 
it's interesting that they went through all that that effort and of course the kids are completely invested how could you not give them an a plus um but then there would be a lot of questions yeah like where did you hire all these actors to come in and do this no we kidnapped them like how do they explain this to the teacher yeah they had no rehearsals they had no preparation for it and well, it's so staged right like i guess they had a time machine they have all the time they want but even that stuff like he does i don't think they'd really have to explain like the the hired actors to the teacher right they, they got their presentation done like however they were needed to get it done they got it done but you know how when did they get in to set up the lights um how was he how were they able to learn so much in such a short period of time mm -hmm. uh did those actors feed them the lines like uh the fact that he, they broke these people out of the jail um like all that stuff that he had mentioned just a few minutes ago yeah the they they, they might have got an a plus on this but there's not going to be an there there will be an asterisk beside it there's something it's a little too convenient yeah well and then there's well, also just the questions from the police department because after oh, after yeah. a significant jailbreak i'm sure that uh ted's dad was getting some major questions and then of course uh that would be followed up by um ted wanting or well ted logan jr wanting answers from his son you know like what the hell happened who are these people where did you go after you know there's still questions you know that they were under arrest blah 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 right so, so they no you know no matter what it comes down to they would have aided and abetted in the escape of of people that were being held in custody in the you know san dimas police department no and that's another one of those loose ends that they just don't care about in this movie like they they left so many loose ends just because they didn't care they just needed it to function for the scene to get them from point a to point b well that's exactly it right like there's there's no real depth to this movie it's just the movie happens and there's no real guiding drive no real there's no real drive to it and there's no uh um uh base for a lot of this stuff it just this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. End of movie. We, and that's that's the whole point of this movie. It's not it's not a thinking movie. This is one of the movies, again, where you just walk in, you shut your brain off, and you enjoy it. And, and that's what made it such a fun movie. It's just a bunch of stupid shit that happens to these stupid kids. <laughs> well, it, it's not even stupid so much as they're just trying to make it fun. You know, the whole the whole thing is said in the title, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And that's exactly what it is. It's an adventure. Um, they don't really focus on heavy consequences or anything because it's just supposed to be a light, fun movie. They, they even got recently, you know, interviewed for the new one coming up and they were asked about, you know, playing it again. And, you know, uh, it, they were saying, you know, we're open to the idea of playing Bill and Ted at 50. You know, we have a good story. You can see the life and joy in these characters. And I think that's what the world can always use is some more life and joy. That was mm -hmm. actually something that they were very sp specific about for the sequel movie, like both Bill and Ted or, or um... Alex and Keanu. Yeah, thank you. Those guys. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, they were very sticky that the movie had to be a particular way like it, it couldn't be too serious or down to earth and they had to keep their their innocence and their their puppy factor right they had to keep yeah. that throughout so that makes me curious as to how they're going to handle this next one yeah it's, it's well, just uh it's just an interesting it's going to be an interesting take because you know that they're they're middle-aged guys they have responsibilities and apparently they've written a bunch of songs but they just 
haven't found the right one. And that's what they're, that's what they're trying to get done in this movie is trying to get to that point where they help spread that feeling that they, they spread in the movie. Cause one thing I can say by the end of the movie is I enjoyed it. I felt good. Like it was fun. I laughed. I, I had a great time. Uh, I don't think any of us really didn't. There were points where we all laughed and laughed out loud because it was just friggin' hilarious. Oh, exactly. It's 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 one of those movies that you can just watch, and it, 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 that's exactly it. It's pure fun. It, it's not to make you're not supposed to piece uh, a, a puzzle together. You're not supposed to really be critiquing a lot of like you're not supposed to really pick this kind of movie apart like we are, right? Like it's not. That's not the purpose of this. This is just a feel good, sit back and enjoy type of movie. Uh, no, I'm just picking it apart because Jesus Christ, you see these things and you just have to question them. But <laughs> on the left, Ted's on the right. Fucking don't even get me started. I swear to God, I'm going to track them down. I, but I literally look at it, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what, you know, regardless of asking all those kinds of weird questions that, you know, a modern moviegoer might go through. That's not really the point. It, it's just meant to be an excellent adventure and just have fun and take the trip with them. And, and, you know, they're doing something very different. And it's like JP said one time, you know, this movie was a, a big chance that they took. You know, there was no guarantee that this was going to be fun in any way. But I think that's what it did is it tickled the fun meter for everybody that watched it. And I know it did for me when I first saw it. I, I didn't even, you know, as a kid, I didn't even think about any of these particular questions. I just watched this movie and these two cool dudes got to travel through time, do all this weird, fun and funny stuff. And it wasn't even something where there's like this big main villain that they have to try and fight and combat. There's no real hard struggle. The struggle is the whole movie, them trying to finish their project and complete it. But it's not like this whole good versus evil, deep interactive thing that we're we're trying to figure out and, and look deeper into. I like that. Yeah, no, same here. I, I really like that. It's just a simple story. There's no uh, big th- person that's out to get them or, you know, there isn't that, you know, the typical romance or they don't, you know, get mad at each other halfway through the movie and then get back together at the end and to, to you know, get this report done. They're always on the same page. A lot of the, you know, the the cliches from movies you see today, that like if there's two friends, at some point they're going to be at odds. Yeah. Or, you know, if it's a, if there, uh, there's a relationship at some point, they're going to be broken up. Uh, it doesn't, it's, it's just two guys on an excellent adventure and you're along there. You're along with them. Yeah. Very, very excellent movie. Yeah. That, that's one of the other pure elements about it is their friendship is not even, not even, we can't even say unwavering because that would suggest that it could waver. These two are obviously longtime friends and there's nothing that they won't do together and for each other if necessary like even when bill went and you know got ted out of the predicament he was in with his dad you know he he gets onto the phone and he's like yeah this is uh officer van halen (laughs) you know and 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 then he goes van halen and of course you know ted pops up and he looks outside and he sees that it's bill and i'm new dude uh sir yeah (laughs) look we found your keys you know like he does all this stuff and he's he's just doing it because he 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 needs his friend. He's not going to do this by himself. He's not going to wait. He's going to do whatever it takes to get him out of that trouble so they can get on with what they need to do together because they need each other. They're almost kind of like 
they're almost kind of like the original double dragon if you think about it and you know i'm glad they didn't waste a lot of time on that kind of a thing right where they're trying to rescue him and and even when they're trying to get them out of the police department that's why they did all of those MacGuffins where they just use the time machine it was to keep the the pacing of the show because things are supposed to get more chaotic and more hectic right up until the show then the performance is your climax and then afterwards they're jamming in their garage and then that's when rufus comes in and gives them their trophy wives right because oh, that that was uh, that's, that's that is what he does kinda, though that's the sad it's thing. really creepy if you think about it <laughs> like i said it's one of those you turn your brain off type movies so i guess it'd probably be easy to miss shit like that right because there's a bunch of stuff you know i never caught on to until we watched it again and i was like hey what about this that doesn't make sense like you don't even think about the felonies they're committing no until you actually piece the movie apart and you're like they're going to jail, dude. <laughs> like, this is bad. But that's the beauty of it. The first time you watch it, you don't question any of that. That's that's not the point of it. You just kind of follow their excellent adventure and go on it. You know, we're we're older. We're, we're sitting here and we're picking it apart. And it's kind of fun, too, because, you know, we get a good laugh out of it. But it's not because that's the essence of the film. We do it because this is what the film was supposed to be. It was supposed to be fun. It was supposed to be entertaining. And we're just trying to relive some of that. And, and it's, it is fun. That's the whole point to it. I, you know, we, we were worried when we were even going to talk about it. It's like, well, what much is there talk about? It's a very threadbare kind of uh, script if you think about it. Um, but that's not the point of it. it. It really focused heavily on just things happening and those things having funny outcomes and consequences and they did that very well that's why the whole subplot for napoleon had to happen is to get yeah. more hijinks that we could kind of work with yeah because it would have been a real short movie otherwise they, they needed that to help you know <laughs> well uh, to beef up the film yeah and and all their hijinks and uh and then the one thing that came out of all those hijinks is 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 we've kind of mentioned it before is how well they adapted like all the different historical figures but they also shared a commonality and after a while they were like a team you know when they went to clean bill's house um you know we we joked about that scene but at the same time it was kind of doing the thing that they were saying that they were going to end up doing in the future which was unifying people and unifying the entire yeah. race through just being excellent to each other well yeah look at look at the the friendships that they they created in such a short span like obviously those guys had had their back just because they were cool dudes i guess yeah like billy billy would really uh clung on to them and obviously so did socrates right away like he he they wrote they really hit home with him and that's just because they were being themselves well, even someone as chaotic as genghis khan still recognized this is his group in a way because even when they're running from the cops and they get out onto the ice him and billy look at each other and they're like uh-oh you know like <laughs> they get surrounded and they're like uh-oh <laughs> you know like they both know they're in trouble and and they're going down but you know, there's a camaraderie between all of them that eventually comes out of it. And it and it's interesting from different historical time periods, different frame of mind people, but they and all you know, have commonality. And you know, it's almost like this is what Bill and Ted are all about. It's not necessarily them or their music that changes the world. It's just their presence and their childlike puppy nature just brings out the best in everybody around them. Like, like they kidnapped this vicious warlord. Now all of a sudden he's on their side. And, and that's almost like a metaphor for how they can bring society together cohesively. 
Exactly. Especially, or am I reading smoothly? No, no, especially Genghis Khan, because we're talking about one of the greatest warlords in history. We're talking about a guy that overran a good chunk of China, right? Like he didn't give a damn. He he conquered because that was in what was in his nature. And then he meets up with Bill and Ted and meets all these people. And even though they go don't go into deep development of their relationship between the, you know, each of them, uh, they just all kind of get into that flow of like, yeah, we're here to help each other. And so they do. So it kind of, it kind of signifies that in a way, like they, they brought a couple war. Well, they, they had three war characters really, because they had Joan of Arc and they also had Napoleon. Yeah. And you brought them all together and then you had deeper thinkers and, you know, you had a musician and all of them all together kind of coalesced into harmony so it was kind of different representations of different areas of the world with different types of beliefs and thoughts and personalities and then they all came together and it was kind of in a weird way signifying what bill and ted will eventually do with the world but until then they're still trying to jam out in their basement and rufus wants to join in he's like yeah sure let's jam together garage oh garage sorry in their garage yes and rufus wants to jam so they start up, they start up their instruments, and you hear them sounding horrible. The, the one girl's like, plink, plink, plonk on the guitar or on the keyboard. The other one's like hitting a few things on the drums, and the two kids are just going crazy. Rufus looks at the camera. Eh, they get better. Well, the one thing I did like about how this scene started was they they were right back to how they were at the beginning of the movie, jamming out in the garage sounding like shit and then they started trying to make excuses for how they could get better and then ted's all of a sudden like you know i think it's just time we learn how to play and bill's like yeah yeah you're right so so even though we're saying you know there's no real character development in this movie that's where it is that's where it starts and that's where it starts to evolve because they acknowledge the shit that they weren't acknowledging at the beginning of the film is that they need to if they want to get to this point, they need to work on it themselves. Now, whether how much effort they've really put into it, especially once you start watching the second one, which obviously wasn't too much effort, <laughs> um, uh, they they acknowledge they need to start somewhere. So there's a little bit of something there. Well, and it's it's the overall lesson from the whole movie for them. It, no matter what, you have to put the work in. Like even that big adventure they went on, they're kind of they're kind of cheating a bit with time traveling, and they're cheating a bit by bringing historical figures. But there was still effort that needed to be put in in the long run to make the book report or the oral report, I should say, as good as it was. the en- The ending was quite fitting. Uh, touching back on that, just very quickly here, uh, where Rufus actually just kind of looks at the camera and goes, "They get better." Um, it's probably better than what they were planning with the scene. Cause, cause like I said, there was a scene where it was probably cut out that they went to a prom or something cause they're in tuxes. But I, I think that would have not lent itself to the open endedness of a sequel. And that was another kind of chance they took with that ending is, you know, they get better and it's kind of a subtle hint that they could have a sequel and we're going to see more Bill and Ted, but that's kind of left open to the audience as to whether or not, you know, they are receptive of the film. So I'm kind of glad that they did because then we do get the sequel. And then of course, now the, the comp completion of the trilogy that has now come out in 2020, many, 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 many years after, you know, the original film, but I'm kind of glad that they did it that way because it also left a lot more to your imagination as to how their lives might turn out. Yeah. Well, I don't think this, prom scene really would have gelled well with the rest of the movie right like i think it might have felt a little extra a little little out of place 
I mean, I don't, I mean, who's to say without actually seeing any script or, or having an idea of how they would have presented that scene. But I just, I, I don't think it was a needed aspect to have. I think you're right because the, the prom wasn't anything they even really mentioned or cared about. It was never a focus for them. They didn't care about prom. They just didn't want to fail. Well, they, they did mention it with the princesses. They asked, he, uh, Ted asked them to the prom and that's pretty much the extent of it. So it was kind of like a throwaway line, right? It didn't need to be. It could have been anything like, like, hey, let's go get some ice cream, right? It, prom wasn't really a, an important thing to him. It was just an excuse for him to be able to ask the girls out. In a sense, yeah. I, I think all they wanted to really kind of do at the end with maybe taking them to the prom is to kind of finalize their cool factor. But then I think maybe that ending, without knowing what it was actually, might have just been close-ended. And maybe that's what they're worried about and might have just been too drawn out, like ending on beginning with George Carlin and ending with George Carlin. is a good way because he's kind of the the fourth wall, right? He breaks the fourth wall to talk to us, the viewer. So he he's kind of that that thing that helps us come in and out of Bill and Ted's historical story, as it were. Even though we haven't exhausted everything we were going to say about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, I think it's time we drew this episode to a close. So, after everything we've said about Bill and Ted, I'm going to have to rate this about 8 out of 10 pudding cups. Because the movie's fun, it's funny, it's really tasty, but it's really not good for you, right? Like, this isn't a smart movie, this isn't an intelligent movie, but man, you're going to love consuming it. Yeah, I definitely have to give this one a seven burnt grilled cheese sandwiches out of 10. It's a fun movie. Uh, there's a lot of stupid shit that if you even try to think about it, it's it's going to throw you off because it's going to come apart real fast. But, you know, you want a good fun movie, you could just slap in front of the kids and, and just sit there and enjoy. This is that movie. I'm going to have to go just a tad bit higher on that one. I'm going to give it eight out of 10 circle Ks. And the reason that I would say that is, you know, Aside from trying not to put this in any type of reality whatsoever, the movie's a fun adventure. And not only Bill and Ted are going on an adventure, but we're going on that same adventure with them. And the whole entire message behind it, being excellent to each other, couldn't have been portrayed by two better actors than Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, who in real life are very excellent to the world. From all of us here, we would like to thank you all for misfiring along with us. And remember, be excellent to each other and party on dudes theme song by Dania Vadovos. If you enjoyed your time here today, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and comment wherever podcasts live. If you would like to join the conversation, have some cinematic suggestions, or any other burning questions, please email us at synapticmisfire2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Synaptic Podcast, or find us on Facebook by searching for Synaptic Misfire. Just remember to keep your eyes open for that little green brain.